We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. It's going to be a good one today, obviously going over Hard Knocks, and uh, joining me today as always is Alex. Alex, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good, and uh, yeah, all aboard the uh, the uh, SS Double Swipe. The SS Double Swipe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was a funny thing. I think Hard Knocks, you know, I, I obviously, you know, we're going to get into everything, and I think, you know, it was a little overkill on the, on the COVID stuff, but... I do think that there were some good little nuggets and and, and uh, good pieces of information from from Hard Knocks, but just your overall thoughts of the episode. Yeah, no, I thought it was an interesting episode. Uh, I thought Anthony Lynn kind of became the star of Hard Knocks uh, in a lot of ways. Um, he was just he's so entertaining. Uh, I and I just love his. He has a really like genuine personality. Um, I <laughs> I just thought it was funny that they contrasted like. Uh, him and his wife like cooking ribs on the grill with like Sean McVay and his evil lair and his wife drinking rosé or something uh but um yeah no I thought he was really cool uh he had some great moments like um the uh the ain't no Antonio Gates moment when talking about Andrew Bollert um but and yeah uh, stealing Derwin James's Oakley's because they were contaminated but um (laughs) 
yeah, he had a he had a bunch of cool moments. So I think my main takeaway from Hard Knocks was definitely uh, definitely Anthony Lynn. I thought he was uh, really fun this episode. He was really fun, and you know the the grilling thing versus like the rosé <laughs> and Sean McVay is like, oh, let me just take off my shirt and hop in the pool real quick, and then it pans out to this incredible view, and Anthony Lynn's just like grilling, <laughs> and he has the little uh, napkin on the floor. Yeah. And, and his wife's like, I want to get you a brush. He's like, no, 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 I'm old school with this. <laughs> I loved it. I thought that was so funny. Um, also, I think, you know, the whole, because none of us knew that he had the virus. And so the, the whole thing about him, the opening scene and him telling, you know, basically the whole team, like, I had this virus. We're going to take this thing super seriously. I thought it was really raw and I thought it was really a cool experience for his players to see like, okay, like this has affected our organization. We just didn't know it yet. And so obviously I think that has really played into the whole reasoning of why the Chargers are taking it so seriously. Right. Um, There was a report, I believe back in April that one member of the Chargers organization had it and we didn't know who it was and we never learned who it was till, till now, Uh, obviously uh, with Anthony Lynn kind of uh, admitting that. Uh, and, uh, no, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a really powerful scene. Uh, first time a coach has ever opened hard knocks by admitting he had a deadly virus. Um, but right. yeah, that's just 2020 for you. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it and all on zoom. Yeah. All on zoom. Uh, I, I did think it was funny that uh, part where Joey Bosa's eyes just widened when Anthony Lynn started talking about it. Um, right. but yeah, no, it was, um, it was a good scene and, uh, that was, that's kind of one of the things that I really like about Anthony Lynn. Um, I just think he's a really good communicator, a really good speaker and yeah, you know, he's kind of, you know, drilled it into seemingly all the players heads about, you know, taking coronavirus. Yeah. Seriously. Um, Joey Bosa, I think, last week said something along the lines of the most responsible team will be the one that wins. Um, and I think that probably right. comes from Anthony Lynn's philosophy uh, that he's kind of uh, instilled in all the players regarding the virus. Yeah, and he said, again, you know, in, in Harnox, like, there's two opponents this year. There's a schedule and then there's COVID. So um, I was actually listening to the Mike and Ike podcast with uh, Money Badger and, and Isaac Rochelle and they were saying that all the coaches are wearing masks for whatever period. They're, they The coaches never take their masks off. So the coaches are taking it very seriously. And, and you know, they're, obviously there are some players who have kids who have families, but most of the coaches, you know, they do have families that are around more people. And, and so I think it's good to see that the coaches are taking it so seriously. The other standout to me was the contract situation. You know, the the striking difference of the Joey Bosa contract extension and the Jalen Ramsey negotiations. I think, you know, it was kind of savage of Hard Knocks to go from Jalen Ramsey freaking out about the media and then panning to Joey Bosa, who was just, you know, really emotional. We haven't seen that side of Joey Bosa ever, really. And so I thought that difference was, was pretty pretty telling too right yeah uh i definitely think the jalen ramsey contract situation is an interesting one just because the rams have uh invested so many other resources into the cap uh and they invested you know the two first round picks into ramsey um so it's like they're they're kind of in a tough position financially but you know they knew that before the trade but i i still think a deal gets worked out but uh, i don't think it's easy as the bosa deal just because 
you know, Bosa's been around this franchise for a while. He wasn't, you know, traded here. And, um, yeah, I, the Bosa thing was just really nice. Um, and it was nice that, the char- you know, he's going to be, you know, a Chargers star uh, for six more years. You know, so that that's just the great thing about the Bosa contract. And, um, yeah, I, I'm curious about Ramsey. He, he has kind of moments of, uh, you know... He's he's a hot guy, you know. He he kind of gets hot, uh, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, his temper on the field and sometimes off the field. So, you know, we'll see if he gets a deal done with the Rams. So, yeah, I I definitely think that scene with the, the Zoom press conference where he walks out and then the Rams media guy told him to walk back in and apologize. <laughs> that was a little right. bit um erratic, but yeah, no, it definitely shows the difference between those two guys, and, you know, Ramsey's kind of sitting here, you know, uh, in that 2016 draft, he's kind of, you know, feels like the only guy who hasn't been taken care of yet, at least, you know, for the future, so I definitely see, you know, why he's kind of upset, but, you know, the Rams are also kind of uh, tight in terms of what they can do with money. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand where Ramsey is coming from and, and wanting to just let his agent in the front office do their thing and, and be able to focus on football. But at the same time, you know, the Rams have a very highly paid quarterback. They have Aaron Donald's contract. They have, you know, they don't have a ton of space, you know, they're not in the same situation as the chargers who have a rookie contract, at quarterback who have a lot of flexibility over the next couple of years. And so I don't know if they're going to be able to afford to pay him top dollar. And if they are not, and he doesn't, want to stay there you know that that is not going to reflect well on this charge on the Rams front office excuse me um so they might be in for a a long-haul negotiation with him maybe they get convinced him to kind of take a discount but if if he leaves you know they give two first room picks to get him and potentially for a year and a half rental so that's going to be really interesting to watch um, as for on the field stuff, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff, obviously, because the team has mostly just been doing walkthroughs. I will say, I feel like the Justin Herbert sequence at the end was a little overblown. I mean, obviously, it's great that he's an accurate guy, but at the same time, it's like he's that's the expectation for him to go and be good in the drills. But the whole I love his balls thing <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> and then you see Gabe Neighbors just like pause like i'm sorry you love his balls <laughs> i thought that was hilarious yeah uh i definitely thought the herbert tyrod sequence was was kind of interesting because i mean lynn was kind of talking both of them up uh, but you know tyrod is kind of this veteran and communicator and, and shout out to tyrod this is his second season of of dealing with hard knocks after you know the yeah. browns Hugh jackson experience but um right. yeah no i definitely thought this was kind of interesting you know, as for the Herbert throwing balls into a net thing, I, you know, I think obviously Hard Knocks is trying to get whatever on-field stuff they can, so I don't think it's super surprising that, you know, they were trying to kind of talk that up. I mean, I, I do think that when it comes down to it, like, the Chargers are impressed with, you know, Herbert's abilities, right? He can run all over the field, you know, he's a big-body guy, um, he can, you know, cover a lot of the field, um, yeah, so the drills, I think, are fine, and um, I, I, I don't have any question that, you know, he can throw three balls into a net in a row, but, uh, right. the, you know, the thing that I thought was interesting was Anthony Lynn, I think, right after that drill was over, or maybe it was, like, kind of midway through that drill, I don't remember, but Anthony Lynn did mention 
uh, his reads uh, specifically and just, you know, going through your reads and kind of looking through the play more. Uh, I think that might have been through the walkthrough sequence, but so yeah. Um, I definitely think that the uh, Tyrod, I, I wouldn't call it a battle, you know, between Tyrod and Herbert because I think Tyrod's kind of guaranteed to start the season at this point. But I definitely think Herbert's physical attributes kind of, uh, and, you know, what he's done to impress the coaching staff, I think that counts for something. And we'll see if uh, down the road in the season uh, he gets an opportunity to start. But, yeah, as, as we've said on this podcast a couple times, he's just a little bit behind the eight ball uh, just due to the nature of the season and the fact that he hasn't gotten many reps. Yeah. And the thing with Herbert and rookies in general has always been the mental aspect of things of, whether or not you can, you know, uh, keep pace with the reading and things like that that goes on in an NFL game. So uh, I think Herbert will have a shot. You know, Anthony has, has said that several times that, you know, he's not just going to give Tyrod Taylor the job. It, you know, he has to win it, uh, which I think is the right decision. And then the only other on-the-field thing that people were mentioning was that Sam Tevy was getting the reps with the ones. I don't know if I would really call them reps because, again, you know, it was just walkthrough stuff. So... I'm not making a huge deal about that because, you know, maybe Trey Pipkins was in on the set before. Maybe he was in on the set after. We don't really know. Um, this is going to be a position battle. You know, Anthony Ulan has said that. I don't expect Sam Tevy to be handed this job, and he should. I don't think that he should be. You know, he has not done anything really of, of high note to, to deserve, you know, just being handed this left tackle job. So, I'm not making a whole big deal about that. I assume you aren't either. Not really. Um, yeah, I'm not making a too big of a deal about it. Uh, this offseason is just weird, and this is much more now like a college offseason, which is like these guys are going to put on pads like two weeks before they play, you know? Um, so right. that's very different from any other NFL season that we've had before. So I don't make a lot of, you know, Tevi being on the corner of the TV screen, <laughs> um, you know, while Tyrod Taylor is, uh, you know, uh, barking orders to the offensive line. I, I, I don't make too much a big deal about that. Um, I've always said it was possible that Tevi could start. Um, it's it's going to be between him and Pipkins uh, at that. Maybe Forrest Lamp uh, also is kind of a wild card name to throw in there when it comes to left tackle. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think Tevi's always been a guy who has a shot there, but I wouldn't say that him, you know, being in the walkthroughs of Hard Knocks necessarily means anything. I I think if he's still there, you know, pretty consistently when they really start, uh, you know, practicing and they really start putting the pads on, that'll say a lot more. Um, but until then, and until the Chargers really release a depth chart, um, you know, towards the beginning of the season, I, I wouldn't make a ton of what you see on Hard Knocks so far. Yeah, I'm with you there. And really the last standout for me was the sequence on Zoom after the team meeting um, with Justin Jackson and Cole Massa and some of the other coaches was the whole social injustice thing. And and I thought it was good, and I thought this is how discussions should be. You know, Cole Massa was able to voice his concerns about kneeling for the national anthem because his family uh, is a military family, and I think that you know, similar to what we're seeing in the NBA with Myers Leonard, you know, Cole Massa should feel okay and in a safe space where he can express those kind of things, just like the other players are feeling comfortable about expressing their frustrations and the possibility of kneeling. So 
I have been really impressed with how the Chargers have handled all of the social injustice talk, and I think this was just another step in that direction because you know I think you know the the same reason that Cole Massa is is kind of frustrated with things, you know Justin Jackson is frustrated with things, but there needs to be an open discussion, and I think that Zoom meeting was uh, was really well done between the two sides, and I think. You know, that's how it should be. There should be an open discussion and people should be able to feel like their opinions and feelings are respected by their peers. And especially on a football team where you are expected to coexist with these other grown men for, you know, seven, eight months, nine months of the year. And so I thought that uh, last meeting, that last Zoom meeting was was really cool to see as well. Right. You know, I definitely like that uh, Zoom meeting. Uh, I think, yeah, it showed a lot of leadership, especially from uh, George Stewart in that sequence, who doesn't, you know, yeah. doesn't get talked about a lot since he's just kind of the special teams coach. But, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think there was kind of a lot of leadership in that meeting from him and Tyrod, uh, Justin Jackson, Kolmasa. But, yeah, I definitely think it's an important topic that kind of uh, needs to be discussed. And, you know, it, it, you know, we talk about not being able to play football this year due to coronavirus potentially, but you also can't play football if you, you know, there's such, you know, uh, a political, you know, rift or, you know, kind of a social rift uh, between the team. So, you know, it's important to uh, talk these things out. So, um, yeah, and the other thing that stood out to me kind of uh, towards the end of this episode was the roster cuts uh, and also Anthony Lynn mentioning uh, the idea of, you know, because of coronavirus and all the things that we don't know, right, if some guy has to be on uh, out for 10 days, if some guy has to be out for, you know, four days, um, you know, that's a situation where you could see some of the guys that got cut, uh, like, I don't know, Coda Martin, uh, Roderick Tamer, and uh, just some of those other guys, uh, especially Andrew Vollert, right, you could see some of those guys maybe come back. Uh, into the fold if, you know, something goes wrong uh, or some guys hit uh, the injured list or hit the, you know, coronavirus uh, list and have to sit out for a while. So I definitely thought, you know, that was kind of another one of the weird ways that this offseason is being handled. And, you know, all the coaches are kind of just playing it by uh, playing it by ear as much as they can. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, you know, I think we saw Andre Patton get scooped up rather quickly. Andrew Wollert has a workout with the Panthers reportedly. Um, but yeah, this whole coronavirus situation, you know, it can throw, you know, the whole teams for a loop. And so I think it makes sense, like Lane was saying, to leave the door open with these guys, especially Teamer, because even though he's suspended, like he knows the system, he's familiar with all with all the players and everything like that. So I think teamer coming back specifically would make a lot of sense i think volert uh probably signs elsewhere and i don't know if he because he he was different in that he battled back from injury and so right. you know for him it felt like from the outside looking in it felt like he was feeling a little bit disrespected by the whole situation that's why you know the emotion came out and and you know i understand anthony lynn saying that he liked that fire from him but at the end of the day like he got fired and he didn't get a chance to prove himself. Uh, so I think that bridge is kind of burned. I, I would be surprised if Andrew Wollert came back. Um, but I, maybe he doesn't sign elsewhere. Maybe that would be his only opportunity. I don't know. Right, yeah. I mean, I think part of, you know, football, part of, you know, any of these leagues is, especially football, with how many players there are. And, um, you know, just, you know, how 
how long the average career is. You know, football has a career, you know, everyone plays three, four years on average. Um, so, you know, it's a business and people move on very quickly. And, you know, teams, you know, three years ago look very different uh, than what they look three years later, aside from, you know, maybe right. two or three of kind of the stars on the team. Um, so, yeah, no, I definitely think you had a lot of fire from Baller, and, you know, he was, um, pissed, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a business, you know, you know, people kind of come and go, and, you know, if you have two tight ends that you like more than Baller, I don't think you keep him just because, you know, he worked so hard to come back from injury, I think, you go with the guys that you think give you, you know, the best, uh, 53 guys. Yeah, absolutely, and that is... That's the tough part. And, you know, we talked specifically about the cuts, you know, without even getting these guys on the field. I think that is, that's just the tough thing. And, you know, I understand, you know, the protocol was to get to 80 players. And thankfully the Chargers only had 86. They didn't have to go full from 90 to 80 like other teams. But uh, that definitely doesn't make it any easier to watch. And I think, you know, just that raw emotion from Volert was was understandable but at the same time you really feel bad for for him and these guys that had to get cut before even you know really stepping on the football field so any other takeaways from hard knocks before we move on to the other news uh no that's about it i i did think you know we talk about the chargers a lot but the the rams final sequence with the porta potty was pretty funny um, <laughs> but, it was hilarious yeah um I, I like the the difference, you know, in in time. I thought the Chargers were kind of the focus, and they should be because the Rams were on the Hard Knocks three years ago. So, I thought Hard Knocks did a good job in that regard, and it'll be interesting to see if that uh, continues that way. So, we'll move on to the other big news of the week uh, on Tuesday night. You know, I went to bed really happy, excited. You know, Hard Knocks was was really cool to watch, and and you know, just made it kind of feel like football's back. Uh, and then Wednesday morning, you know, uh, just kind of waking up to the news that the Big Ten is canceled and the Pac-12 is canceled. Um, you know, it sucked. It really did. You know, I'm, I'm as big a college football fan as I am an NFL fan. And so waking up to the news that I was not going to be able to sit on Saturdays and just watch college football all day and specifically watch uh, my beloved Utah Utes, you know, I think they were going to have a, a semi-special year. Um you know, it just kind of sucks. Your reaction to the uh, college football being you know, semi-canceled. Right. Um, I definitely think, you know, it's unfortunate that this kind of had to happen. Um, well, you know, that's the thing. It didn't have to happen, you know, had we kind of followed safety protocols and, you know, done things differently in this country. But that's a topic for another podcast. Uh, but, you know, I, I definitely think it's bad news, but... I ultimately have thought for about the last month, maybe two months, that there was no real way around it, um, because the relationship between college football players and uh, athletic directors, conference directors, coaches, like, their job is, you know, honestly, to protect these players, right? Like, you know, so it's a different thing when you talk about the NFL and the NFLPA, right? Because the NFL and the NFLPA can sit down and talk about coronavirus and be like, you know, let's talk about, you know, how many tests should we do per day? You know, um, you know, should we have a preseason? Should we not have a preseason, right? If you have uh, a union and you have employees, right, you can talk about these things, but college football players aren't employees, and so it's ultimately, um, 
up to the health experts and up to uh, athletic directors, university presidents, uh, to make the right decision right here. And if, you know, the medical officials are telling you, you know, hey, we don't feel safe enough to do this, then I don't know how you in good conscience put football players out there. Um, now, you know, the other news, other than the Big Ten and Pac-12 getting canned, um, and at least until the spring, was that the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC still think that they're going to play, um, which right. is a whole other can of worms. But I, I just think that at that point, those three conferences are buying more time. Um, you know, they, they pushed back the season to September 26th, um, you know, so they're, you know, trying to do what they can to make it happen. But I ultimately think it just comes down a lot of it to ethics and safety questions. And, you know, if you're not, you know, with the college football players, right, as we said, aren't employees. And I, I saw this, you know, crazy idea getting thrown around on Twitter about, you know, what if, you know, uh, I don't know, what if all the, you know, college football players just sign a waiver and make sure not to sue the NCAA? It's like, why do the players have to continuously for this sport just give up all of their rights while, you know, the athletic directors and the people who uh, run, you know, uh, athletic directors, coaches, uh, you know, the Big Ten co- uh, conference leaders, right? They all, you know, continue to pile money based on what these players are doing. Uh, and it's the players who have to sign a waiver to not sue if, you know, they experience permanent lung damage from coronavirus. It's <laughs> it's, it's just so... Uh, I mean, it's unfortunate that the season had to get canceled. Um, and, you know, I, I love wa- watching college football on Saturdays, but to me, there's just no way around it with the safety concerns and what the relationship between the players and NCAA is, right? It, it's it's a um, dependent relationship as opposed to an employee relationship. That That is 100%, 100% spot on. And I think if, you know, college football had a commissioner, they had, you know, centralized leadership, I think we might be in a different situation. And there is something to be said about these players being in safer situations while they are on campus, but at the same time, you know, it, it definitely is not their responsibility to figure this out. The college, the conferences should have been, you know, collaborating and planning together. They should have been able to figure this out. You know, we had, everything got shut down in March. We've had since March for the college football commissioners or whatever to, to come together and make plans, and they didn't until a few weeks ago. You know, the NFL didn't do a very good job planning for this either, yeah. but at least they, you know, were able to string together a plan very quickly. And, you know, it just seemed like, you know, the Big Ten canceling but also allowing football practices is really confusing yeah, to me. Yeah, I don't know about the that. The Pac-12 is at least, like, saying we're not doing any fall activities until January 1st, which obviously impacts everybody, uh, including, like, basketball and volleyball and stuff like that. So it, it, it sucks. You know, I, I am understanding of the situation, and I was talking with my wife about this yesterday. It's like I I hate that the reality now is that we basically just have to deal with this virus being a thing. Like, it's essentially like everybody around the world has beaten the virus, and, you know, we just get to deal with it and suffer the consequences for the basically ever until this thing Uh, just kind of gets blown over and and, you know it's frustrating I feel so bad for all these players you know college football is is 
you know, mostly made up of guys who are there and are never going to play pro sports. You know, they're there to get an education. They're there to get a window into their careers and, and start building their families. And, you know, obviously people like Trevor Lawrence and Panay Sewell, like they're going to be okay. And Justin Fields, like they'll be fine. But, you know, the, all these guys who have, you know, walked on and then earned scholarships, I just feel terrible for those kind of players. Yeah, no, um, I feel bad for them too. So, you know, it, it sucks that they're not, you know, a lot of players aren't going to be able to play their senior seasons. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with eligibility and all that, you know, if, uh, you know, the other seasons are canceled as well. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just a terrible situation all around. And uh, we mentioned, you know, the players, but, you know, it's also kind of a boon for, you know, local businesses, right? Um, a lot of these college football schools, you know, aren't in... Uh, you know, New York or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or, or you know, well, I guess you have UCLA and all that, but, um, you know, a, a lot of these college football, uh, you know, towns aren't, you know, big cities. They are kind of these right. uh, smaller cities and, you know, uh, you know, Eugene, Oregon, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, so it's kind of a boon for local businesses, especially in the South and the Midwest. And, um, you know, it, definitely is um it's you know really sucky that this had to happen and i guess we'll see what happens with the sec and the big 12 and the acc as this plays out um but yeah i i just don't have much faith that there's going to be much of a comprehensive plan put together for those schools uh because i can count the amount of times on one finger that uh i've <laughs> or one hand that i've heard any of those conferences mention coronavirus tests um, because they haven't been talking about yeah. health protocols at all. So, right. I mean, we know the NFL is spending like $75 million right. on coronavirus testing. So yeah. all these colleges, like sure, Ohio State, Alabama, USC, Notre Dame, like they can afford it. But the University of Utah or Rutgers, you know, they can't afford to spend $70 million on coronavirus testing. And they have twice the amount of personnel that NFL teams do. So um, it's... The plan for spring football is going to be the thing where I'm like, okay, well, is there going to be a universal plan or is it just going to be, you know, the Pac-12 does its own thing, Big Ten does its own thing. Apparently the Big Ten wants to start back up in January, and I'm like, have fun playing football games in Minnesota and Wisconsin <laughs> yeah. in January. That sounds terrible. Yeah, the restart plan is interesting because I don't personally think there is much of a plan. I just think, kind of think they're kicking the can down the road and seeing what happens. I was uh, listening to Reese Davis talk, and he was talking about, you know, specifically, all right, so you have all the guys come and say they play from January to April, right? Uh, and then you want them back on the field in August, and then you want them to go through August through, you know, effectively uh, November, December. So it's like you're basically asking them to play two college football seasons uh, in the span of a year, right? And... That is, um, you know, and he, he brought up that he, he's talked to a lot of doctors that basically say that's not exactly safe. But uh, so I, I it's, you know, it's very unfortunate that this is happening. But, you know, I I just don't see without the existence of some like centralized group of players, you, you know, uh, discussing these things with the NCAA and, and you know, getting certain things um, talked about and certain safety protocols and health protocols established, 
I just don't see how you can do it. And I did think it was funny that Dabo in particular said, yeah, sure, we'll form a player organization, but we're not doing a union, <laughs> which right. I thought was funny from uh, Coach uh, Coach Dabo. But, yeah, it's, um as I said, yeah, it's very unfortunate that this happened, but I think ultimately it had to happen. Um, yeah, I guess the interesting thing now is... Uh, and for and how it relates to pro football and uh, the Chargers is the draft, right? Because the draft is super up in the air. Um, they've been talking about how currently with the CBA, you can't push the draft past, uh, I think, like June. But, you know, if the college football season's in the spring and with the college football season going on, you can't really totally start, you know, scouting and the combine and all these other things, right? So it's um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the draft and if they end up uh, pushing it off uh, if they play in the spring, you know. So we'll see exactly what happens. But I definitely think it's a loss of an opportunity for um, you know kids who are going to be maybe in the sixth, seventh, you know, undrafted free agents, right? Um, it's definitely a lost opportunity for them to show what they got. And it's also a lost opportunity for the kids who, you know, uh, never wanted to go to the NFL. So that's that's the other thing as well. Yeah, in terms of pro, in terms of the draft, I think, you know, this is a huge impact because, you know, if you look at a guy like Panay Sewell, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, like you pretty much know who they are at this point and what kind of draft prospect they are. They'll, they'll be fine in terms of, of evaluation, you know, if Panay transfers to an SEC school in hopes of playing, like, that would be different. Maybe get some different tape out there. But, you know, it, it really impacts the guys who need, you know, to solidify their position, you know. And, you know, Joe Burrow is a prime example of this. After his junior season at LSU, he was viewed as, like, a third, fourth, fifth round pick. And then obviously he had the best college football season ever and he became the number one pick. So there's lots of guys like that out there who need to have another year of tape to solidify their position. And there's also guys who need to have another year because they haven't started to this point. You know, the University of Utah had Terrell Burgess this past year and his only season as a starter was his senior year. And it was a great senior year and he was able to get drafted in the fourth round by the Rams. If this is... This year, you know, there is no Terrell Burgess getting drafted. Gardner Minshew talked about it, too. If he doesn't have his one year at Washington State, he's probably, you know, coaching high school football right now and, and not on the Jaguars. So, you know, it it sucks, I think, in terms of evaluation. You know, uh, Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, threw out the idea of doing the Senior Bowl in January. And then you have a combine for the players, you know, if the SEC, ACC, and Big Big. Uh, 12 play you have a combine for them at the end of January and then you have another combine for the Pac-12 and Big Ten players or whoever cancels uh, later on in the year and then you could do another senior bowl so I think if the NFL really wants to ramp up the offseason in order to give these guys an opportunity to to get some tape and get some workouts out there I think there are ways around that they obviously would have to get the NFLPA to sign off on it um, but this is huge for the draft because, like I mentioned, there's maybe 10 players set in stone, and there's seven rounds. So this is a huge, a huge deal for the NFL draft. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I think the SEC might be the only conference that plays. You know, I can't imagine how all three play. I don't know. 
it's it's going to be wild to see how how long these two these three conferences hold on. But uh, man, it's it sucks. So we'll move on to the other piece of news that came out today, and that was the George Kittle extension, uh, five years, seventy five million dollars. And the news was weirdly broken by part of my take <laughs> um, instead of like Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter, which. You know, that's, I don't know if that's just because they're friends with George Probably. Kittle or what, but, you know, I think that it is, you know, asking for some weird, a weird new dynamic of breaking news. <laughs> if we have to listen to part of my take for breaking news, it's going to be wild. <laughs> um, you know, I, I tweeted this out before we got on the show. George Kittle making $75 million a year puts him at him, puts him at $15 million per year average. Um, there are currently 11 wide receivers who make more than George Kittle per year, including Jarvis Landry and Brandon Cooks. So I I think this is a bargain for the Niners. Obviously, the tight end position is is continually underpaid with him and Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. But yeah, I think George Kittle probably should have asked for like a hundred million. I think he would have been worth it. Um, what did you make of the extension? Yeah, I kind of agree with you that tight ends are undervalued and underpaid. So. You know, the highest tight end contract before, uh, you know, uh, George Kittle was Hunter Henry's franchise tag this year at $10.6 million. Right. So, you know, it's like uh, tight ends weren't exactly breaking the bank, and, and they haven't been for a while. So, you know, I, I do think still, you know, $15 million is, is kind of small on paper compared to the other NFL contracts we've seen with receivers, uh, with quarterbacks, right? But... Fifteen million is still a lot of money in, t- in terms of tight ends. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, it is the biggest um, tight end contract of all time. Uh, but yeah, George Kittle, I think, is fully deserving of that. Uh, with you know the way he plays, his physicality, um, the way he blocks, uh, and just how important he is for the Niners, because that Niners team, uh, I don't think that Niners team sniffs the Super Bowl uh, without George Kittle. Um, he was just so. Um, he was just so necessary to that whole uh, team and how that offense worked. Um, so yeah, I, I I definitely think George Kittle would be worth yeah if you if you paid a hundred million for him theoretically. I mean they're already paying Jimmy G hundred thirty five million. So um, right. yeah, so I think George Kittle's certainly a little more worth it than Jimmy Garoppolo. But uh, yeah, no, I, I the question that I had yeah immediately when I saw the number is. You know, of course, getting to the Chargers uh, talk is Hunter Henry, right? You know, he is the right. free agent next year. Um, I don't think he'll get more than Kittle, so I don't think he'll get more than that $15 million. I would be surprised. Yes, I hope not. <laughs> right. Um, but he could very well fall between that 10 and $15 million and maybe getting 12 13 a year, uh, maybe pushing it to 14 right? I definitely think he could make that kind of money it's just a question of whether he makes it in uh la and or whether he makes it somewhere else um but yeah no i i had i've had debates with people through the last two weeks about you know who's the highest priority free agent now you know uh, i think everyone agrees keenan is is the guy after bosa right everyone agrees that keenan is the next guy to get paid just because of how important he is to the offense and um you know how great he is as a receiver but then it turns into an argument, really, between I think three guys, um, between uh, Melvin Ingram, between Hunter Henry, and between Desmond King, uh, in terms of the next, you know, uh, guys to get paid, and you know everyone kind of has different takes on that. Um, 
But, you yeah, know, I definitely think this makes the market more interesting for Hunter Henry. But, you know, to, to get to that market uh, successfully, I think he definitely needs to, you know, stay healthy and be a little better at um, blocking this year, as we've said on this show. Yeah, I... I'm nervous about this now. Oh, boy. Hunter. Breaking news. The Chiefs are closing in on signing star Travis Kelsey to a long-term extension at least five years. Just got that from Whoa. Ian Rappaport. So, another five-year extension today. And it broke while we were on the pod. So, big so news. So, George Kittle is going to be the highest-paid tight end for about <laughs> an hour? <laughs> <laughs> Two hours? I guess. I guess we'll see how much Travis oh, Kelsey gets. He's gonna. I, I think that deal's gonna be big as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So this <laughs> this keeps Kelsey in Kansas City until he's thirty six. Something like that. Yeah. I think he's because yeah. He's about to turn because he signed through twenty twenty two, or no, he's a free agent. Oh, yeah. Free agent twenty twenty two. So this is twenty twenty. Yeah. So it's basically he'll be in Kansas City for the next seven years. Um, oh, man. Yeah, so that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, first. Uh, so if he's making more, if he gets more than Kittle, I'm expecting like a five-year, like eighty million dollar deal, maybe. Yeah, like that. that's possible. I guess I have tweet notifications on from Rappaport, so uh, I'll let you yeah, know we'll throughout the shortly, duration of the show if uh, yeah. we get other breaking news on uh, Kelsey. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely think Kitt- Kittle's deal and now Kelsey's deal is uh, a big deal in terms of how uh, what Henry's market looks like next year. But, yeah, as we've said on the show, uh, before I rudely interrupted Stephen with that news, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, that's a good interruption. It's a <laughs> yeah. good interruption. Um, before I rudely interrupted that, uh, you know, it's just it's a matter of if he can stay healthy and if he's um, going to be kind of better at blocking. And we'll see what connections he has with Tyrod and especially the quarterback of the future, uh, Herbert. Yeah, this is interesting. I think this makes me nervous, though, because for me, Hunter Henry, if he plays all 16 games, then sure, give him an extension. And we had this conversation with uh, Jason Reed, our editor at Boltbeat. If he pays 14, I am okay giving him an extension. I would hope that it would be less money. But... Right now, like if I had to choose between him and Melvin Ingram, I'm choosing Melvin Ingram mm-hmm. because Melvin Ingram, I we have seen no drop off. If he gets hurt, it's a couple of games. You know, he hasn't had a major injury since you know his early years in San Diego. And last year, he missed three games and he put up basically the exact same numbers as he did the year prior. So, to me, you can more easily replace Hunter Henry than you could eas- more easily replace Melvin Ingram. You know, everybody's going to say, well, you have a Chen and Wosu. We haven't really seen Wosu be that kind of consistent playmaker. And he had three starts last year without Melvin Ingram to show what he could do on a consistent basis. And he had one sack. And that was against Joe Flacco. That was <laughs> So I'm skeptical of giving Hunter Henry more than Austin Hooper's deal. Austin Hooper makes around 13 a year. It's like 13.1 uh, in Cleveland. I think... Anything more than the Austin Hooper deal would make me uncomfortable for Hunter Henry. And that's even if he does play six, all 16 games. I just don't think that he is on that same level where he deserves 15-plus a year. If he makes more than George Kittle, I'm going to be really uh, really upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the way that I've talked about it, and I've gone back and forth with Chargers fans on Twitter and Chargers fans on Boltbeat who <laughs> disagree with me, but 
Um, the way that I would rank them is Ingram 1, Henry 2, and then probably King 3. Um, you know, but, yeah, as we've said with Henry, it's, it's, I, I just haven't seen that he's above replaceability, especially with the injuries, um, especially looking at, uh, we talked about it a little bit on this show when, when Jason was on, we talked about, uh, next year's draft class, um, guys like, um, Matt Bushman with guys, uh, the Miami tight end, I forget his name off the top of my head, but we've talked about, um, a lot of guys who could replace um, Hunter Henry, and I, you know, when you talk about the guys who can replace Ingram, it's like it could, but I think it requires investing a lot more draft capital, and I'm not really thrilled with the idea of using a first or second round pick on a defensive end when you could just re-sign Ingram anyway, um, and... Yeah, and then the other thing is like, oh, well, we could replace him in free agency. It's like, okay, do you think Shaq Barrett or Yannick Ngakwe is taking a discount to, to be on the Chargers? It's like, no. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just like uh, when we talk about the replaceability of uh, Henry, I just I think it's um, I think it's harder to replace uh, Ingram. Yeah, I, I, it really depends on the goal in replacing them. Like, are you aiming for a star tight end? Or are you aiming for a star pass rusher to go along with Joey Bosa? Realistically, to get a star pass rusher, you probably have to be in the top 10 in the draft. Right. And I fully expect the Chargers to be in the late teens or early 20s. So I, I, they're just not going to be in the range unless they trade up, which, I mean, I know they traded up for Kenneth Murray, but that's just not in Tom Telesco's nature to trade all the way up into the top 10 to to select an, uh, an edge rusher. I mean, George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. Travis Kelsey was, like, a third-round pick. So tight end is definitely more replaceable. And at the same time, you know, you're you're not necessarily looking for an elite tight end because there's really only three in the league that are elite tight ends, mm-hmm. and everybody else is just kind of in that solid range. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, the replaceability factor, you know, weighs more in Melvin Ingram's favor because... You can sign Melvin Ingram to a two-year deal. You can draft a guy in 2022, and then you know you're you're probably set in terms of pass rushers. So that'll be really interesting to watch. But you know, I the market for tight ends has gone way up with Austin Hooper and now George Kittle and, and Travis Kelsey. I'm fully expecting to to break that. Um, but I, I I think Hunter Henry the best bet if he plays 14, 15, 16 games. I think it's four years 45 million maybe maybe 50 i think four for 50 would be like my limit there right um and the chargers do have a little bit of potential um i they have a little bit of margins in the salary cap for henry because they didn't agree with gordon on that four year 40 million dollar deal that was talked about um which looking in retrospect sounds hideous um but um, yeah, so they, they have a little bit of room to move. And so if they want, uh, I do think it's, you know, we've talked about it. It's possible to get Keenan, Ingram, and Henry back. Um, I, I really do think it is because they still have about 60, 60 plus mil in salary cap after the Bosa deal. So if they want to get those guys back, they can. Um, it's just a matter of what they want to do with those free agents and also, uh, some of the kind of lower on the totem pole free agents, um, 
you know, if Mike Pouncey plays really well this year, do they want to re-sign him? Or uh, Michael Davis even uh, will be a free agent after this year. If he shows improvement, do you want to re-sign him? So um, it's it's kind of a lot. But, I, um, yeah, it's interesting to talk about with Henry and all of these other guys heading into free agency. And, um, yeah, as it currently stands, uh, Henry is lower on my free agent um kind of requirements for the Chargers than uh, I think Keenan Allen and also uh, dealing with a lot of the other positions on the team. Right. Right. And, you know, obviously we have to bring up here the cap going down to 175 as the floor. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, I would expect Keenan Allen to be worth a, a, a big, big price tag. So we'll see if they can even afford Hunter Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely will be interesting to watch. They... They cannot come to an extension now, right? Like the window has passed. Full. Yeah, window's passed on Henry. So yeah, their their last chance to make a deal was that July fifteenth uh, franchise tag deadline. So, I mean, you know, it depends on who you ask, but you know, usually when teams put a guy on the franchise tag, they don't end up signing him the season after. You know, with Chargers, they had Melvin Ingram on the franchise tag, and then they signed Melvin Ingram later that year to a deal. Uh, in, I want to say it was like a week before the franchise tag deadline. I don't totally remember. Um, but yeah, so I would say it's likelier that Henry's out more than he is in. Um, I think that the Chargers had a deal on the table with him, but, you know, while they were negotiating, the whole coronavirus thing happened, and that has definitely affected the numbers and what they're considering doing for Henry and the other players. Um... So, yeah, I, I think they there was probably a point back in March, April, where they might have had a negotiation with Henry, and now, you know, Henry's going to hit free agency. So you're going to negotiate him, and you're probably going to negotiate, um, you know, he's also going to negotiate with other teams. Um, you know, that's, that's right. just kind of where we're headed. Um, so, yeah, I'll be curious to see how it all uh, pans out, and especially how uh, Hunter Henry plays in 2020. Yeah, and to his credit, he's been very open about the whole thing. He he has presented a high quality case of self awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, he understands you know the injuries, and he understands that he's got a lot to prove, and that's why he's on the franchise tag. And he sixteen sixteen games, fifteen games, and I think he he's in for a, a big payday. Um, any other thoughts before we wrap up today's show? Uh, no, I don't have a ton else to say. I will say I did get a good comment on Bold Beat for, from one of our uh, GAC fans. Uh, so I totally forget the comment, but yeah, he was pointing out to me that uh, he met another person uh, who is a uh, Chargers and Sixers fan, and he didn't think that he would ever find someone else um, who was ever like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he also compounded his misery by becoming a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. Uh, so <laughs> I can't quite nice. relate to him on that level, but, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to the show, man. And thanks for listening to my articles on both, uh, listening to my articles, reading my articles on both <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, shout out to all the fans. Yeah, definitely. It's been, uh, it's been fun doing the podcast and writing on both eating and what did you say? You know, I'm excited. Did you just say podcast? It sounded like podcast? you just said podcast a little there. Maybe, maybe I'm rubbing off. <laughs> Your accent's wearing off on me, dude. <laughs> uh, no, it's been a fun experience for sure, and I'm excited that football season is 
pick it back up. And, you know, obviously the lack, the lack of college football is going to be tough. But I'm hoping the NFL can uh, get some games on Saturdays and kind of make up for, for the loss there. So uh, that'll do it for today's show. Make sure you can follow us on social media and support our Patreon page if you do. So please, uh, the breakdowns will be coming. I know Alex posted one on Joe Reed, which if you have not seen that, make sure you check that out. And uh, yeah, that'll do for the show today. Thanks for tuning in. See you.